0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit slash give My name is Alex McNeely. I am the pastor of Clearnote Campus Fellowship. We have a ministry over on campus at Indiana University. We have Bible studies. We have preaching and worship every week on campus. Um, if you're a student, we hope that you'll join us um, and hope to see you on campus. But we take the word of God to campus, to a dark place. We take the light of God's word to be preached and to bring people into fellowship with Christ. This morning... Uh, well, I, first of all, I apologize if you've looked in your bulletin. We're not going to be in First John 5 this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. Um, but this morning, in coming to God's word, I hope to accomplish just a few things. And they all relate to the work of the Holy Spirit. The first thing is that I want you to see your need for fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see or grow in your need. fellowship with God's Holy Spirit the second thing is that I want you to know what the Holy Spirit is or to come to a better understanding of what the Holy Spirit is and when we talk about the Spirit what that means and the third thing is that I want you to know or have a better idea of how to have fellowship with God's Spirit of what that means and how we actually have fellowship with God's Spirit So to help us understand these things, let's look at Romans chapter 8. And these are the words of the Holy Spirit himself. These are words that God has spoken to us for the building up of our faith. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, you can turn there or you can follow behind me on the screen. I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Romans 8. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, up to this point, Paul in Romans 8 has been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are saved completely apart from anything that we can do, but simply on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ and his blood and his righteousness. And this is kind of a turning point, and Paul starts preaching about the work of the Holy Spirit. So he says, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile Toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We're going to stop there. So the first thing I said that I want you to see this morning is your need, your desperate need for fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, we see our need for the Holy Spirit. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the biggest reasons is because of the power of what is called indwelling sin. The sin that lives inside of us. Even after we've trusted in Christ and been set free from the condemnation of sin, Scripture makes it clear that we are still subject in part to the power of sin which still lives in us. And this sin which is still living inside of us is cunning and powerful. And it has an amazing pull on our hearts and on our wills. Notice how Paul talks about the powerful presence of sin within us. Can you put it back up there? He says, he calls it a law of sin and of death. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now what is Paul talking about when he says a law of sin and death? Well he's been talking about the law, God's law, which we cannot keep. But Paul's also doing some wordplay here. And when he uses the word law here, he's not talking about a law in the sense of directive rules or commands, which just tell us what to do, but in the sense of what John Owen calls an operative, effective principle, which seems to have the force of law, okay? So think about Paul's term, law of sin and of death, as analogous, analogous to what we call the law of gravity, okay? So let me ask you a question. How often do you think about gravity? Never, right? Maybe some of you do, maybe someone's studying physics or something, but you almost never think about the law of gravity and its effect on you, right? Which is kind of strange if you think about it, because physically speaking, gravitational pull is the defining reality of our lives. Every physical action we take is contingent on gravity's provision. Everything that gets designed or built is dependent on gravity's constant presence. So our building over there, every little bit of engineering that's gone into it is entirely built on the assumption, the principle, the law of gravity, right? It is pervasive and constant. So much so, in fact, that you never think about it. You never think about gravity and the effect that it has on you. In fact, the only time you might actually notice the effects of gravity and its pull in everyday life is if it took a break for a minute. If you suddenly noticed that you weren't being held in your seat by gravity, you would then be keenly aware that something was missing, right? Now, it's the same way with sin, and I think that's one reason that Paul calls it here the law of sin and of death. Sin is constantly exercising its pull on us. And it's so constant and unrelenting that we often don't even notice it. Sin is always enticing you and seeking to draw you in to entangle you. It promises pleasure and comfort and security and satisfaction. And it promises that your life will be miserable without it. You at all times, either Being aware of it or unaware of it, feel your desires pulled towards sensuality and worldliness and envy and jealousy and pride. This is the reality of what sin is inside of us. And the power of sin is so potent because it's part of who we are. It's not just some external force at work on us, like gravity. It's an internal force at work inside of us. And left to our own efforts to destroy it, we're hopeless because it even corrupts those efforts itself to be free of it. So when I was in high school, I had a 1991 4Runner, Toyota 4Runner. It was an excellent car that lots of people envied. But one weakness of this car, despite being an awesome car, was that it had a really pathetic heater. Okay, so in the morning, I remember a particular winter morning, getting up, And starting at my car to kind of warm it up um, to go to school. And I scraped off the windshield, as we're going to start doing here in a a month or two. And scraped it off and got about halfway to school, which was 10 or 15 minutes away. And maybe some of you have had this experience. I got to a red light and I actually had to stop and get out of my car and grab the scraper again and scrape off the window again. Right? Because the, the heater did nothing. It was still just as cold when I got to school as when I left my house. Last winter, um, I was on my way to church, which is about a three-minute drive, and my windshield was frozen over, and it was thin enough ice that I thought, okay, I'll just use the windshield wiper fluid to spray it on there and wipe it off, right? Which worked great, okay? It melted away, but then you've maybe done this before. What happened right after you wiped away the windshield wiper fluid? Crystals just immediately spread all over the windshield and made it even harder to see than when I started, right? And so what I hoped would be the solution to my problem and help me to see, my efforts actually just ended up making the problem worse. And this is what it's like when we fight our sin by our own strength. Indwelling sin is as persistent and penetrating as the iciest cold on a winter day. And we need a strong heater to warm our hearts and fight the power of sin within us. And since it exercises such an effective pull on us that is constant and unrelenting, just like gravity, we need the blazing sun of God's spirit to be at the center of our lives, pulling us toward righteousness and life, away from our orbit around sin and death. We need an influence at work inside of us which is more powerful and effective than sin. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit's work inside of you. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he says, "'I say to you, walk by the Spirit, "'and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. "'For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit "'and the Spirit against the flesh. "'For these are in opposition to one another "'so that you may not do the things that you please.'" Now, if you read this verse, Galatians 5, 17, in the King James Version, it reads a little differently. It says this, where it says, in the NASB, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The KJV says, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. The Greek word that Paul uses can actually mean to lust. Lust where we have in the NASB, it sets its desire against the the spirit, can actually mean to lust. This is the word, the same word that Jesus uses um, when he says, I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is the same word where Paul says, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so when Paul says that, that the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, it could be translated, the flesh, as the KJV does, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Lusts against the flesh. Now clearly, the translators of the NASB thought it inappropriate to ascribe to the Holy Spirit the action of lusting, and probably rightly so. And that's why they said it sets its desire against the spirit. But I think Paul used this word intentionally, and we have to see Why? Because it paints a picture for us of the power of the Holy Spirit. And what do I mean by that? It's very simple. It's because you know the power of your lust, don't you? It may be lust for pornography or immorality, it may be a lust for attention, it may be a lust for money or other things that you want. Your lust is a force inside of you which leads you to do awful things. Your sinful desires cause you to sin against other people, to sin against God and to do wicked things with your mind and body. These desires well up inside of you and they're irresistible. You were born with them and you know you can't change them. Sometimes you wish you could change them, but no matter how hard you try, they keep coming back with greater force and you fall deeper and deeper into your sin. And this is perfectly in line with what Paul says here. Flip over to verse 7. This is what Paul is describing when he says, Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the power of your lust. And what you need is the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit to dwell inside of you and set its desire, its desire which is as strong and stronger than the lust inside of you. You need the Spirit to set its desire against the flesh. Paul is writing to convince us here in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit has this power and grants this power to believers. This is an encouragement from Paul that the Holy Spirit on the basis of Christ's blood is given to us a power that is stronger than the lust which dwells inside of us. So I hope you see your need for the Holy Spirit. When you see the power of sin inside of you, you see that you need God's Spirit. But as we talk about the Holy Spirit, some of you may ask, sometimes we lose sight of this, what is the Holy Spirit anyways? What is the Holy Spirit? When we say that, what do we mean? I mean, when it comes to God the Father, we have a clearly personal knowledge of Him. The Father chose us. He displayed his love for us in sending his own son to die for our sins. We call him father. He displays his character in his judgments and in his gracious acts toward us and toward his creation. God the son likewise is personal. He came and dwelt among us. What could be more personal than that? He took on flesh. The likeness of sinful flesh to dwell among us. He was born to an earthly father and an earthly mother. He had a real job. He had bodily weaknesses just as we do. He came and spoke to us with his voice and showed his compassion by dying for us on the cross. We think of God the Son as personal. But what about the Holy Spirit? Is he just some life force that sort of flows around us in a mysterious way? Is the Spirit just a feeling that comes upon us and makes us have certain exciting emotions? Is it just like A spirit of sadness or a spirit of goodwill or team spirit. There's just this other spirit that produces warm feelings about God inside of us. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, listen to this. Jesus teaches his disciples about what the Holy Spirit is in John 16. And he says this This is right before Jesus is about to die and leave the earth the night before his crucifixion, and he tells his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, which means that the Holy Spirit is personal. He is sent by the Father on account of the Son's work, and He takes real action. He loves us with the same love that God the Father and God the Son showed toward us. And He displays this love by speaking to us, guiding us into all truth, He forms new hearts inside of us and then he reveals the Savior Jesus Christ to us in our hearts so that we might look upon him and be saved, rescued. He convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment so that we might turn to God and be saved. And this is just a small sampling of the work that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian. We have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. But for our purposes right now, I want us to get one work of the Holy Spirit stuck in our minds and in our hearts, and we see it in the passage today, And that one, one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit we see in verse 13, if you can pull up 13, is that the Spirit helps us to kill sin. Look at verse 13 here. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body... You will live. See, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we put to death the deeds of our sinful nature, of our flesh. And this, this work of the Spirit, the putting to death of the deeds of the body, is what distinguishes the children of God from the children of the devil. This work going on inside of them. And so I ask, how do you know if you're really in Christ, You might have this question often, how do I know if I'm really in Christ? Well, we get the answer here in this verse. You ask yourself, are you engaged in the battle against sin? Are you, by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body? Because if you are, God promises that you will live if you're engaged in that fight. So here are some more specific ways of asking that same question. The question being, Are you putting to death the deeds of the body by the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you a few questions. One is, is the Holy Spirit, do you see evidence of the Holy Spirit destroying your sinful desires? John Owen calls the Holy Spirit the fire which burns up the very root of lust. Which means the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life will be the burning up of the deeds of the flesh in your own life. They will be being put to death. So what are the deeds of the flesh as I say this? Well, you know what they are because they're in your heart, but here's what Paul says in Galatians. He says the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger disputes dissensions factions envying drunkenness carousing and things like these and then paul says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god and so my question is do you make a practice of these deeds of the flesh are you given to enmity do you take delight in setting yourself at odds with other people do you give yourself to a practice of outbursts of anger to disputes do you envy those around you their gifts their, their family the things that they have Do you give yourself to drunkenness and escaping from the reality of your spiritual state? Or are you putting these things to death day by day? Have you grown weary and resigned yourself to defeat? Have you resigned yourself to habits of sin and continuing in habits of sin because you think it's useless to fight? Or do you trust in God? you hope in God he is powerful the Holy Spirit is powerful to destroy your sinful desires to put them to death in you so I ask you is the Holy Spirit destroying your sinful desires do you see this work happening the second question is the Holy Spirit giving you new desires he not only destroys sinful desires but he forms in us a new heart that has new desires By the Spirit, we have a desire to actually obey the law of God. And it's not an obedience driven by guilt, by self-righteousness, by looking good in the eyes of others. It's an obedience driven by an actual desire to glorify the God who saved you from hell. A desire that's stronger even than your lustful desires to indulge in sin. Do you see the Spirit at work inside of you giving you those desires? One more is the Holy Spirit bringing the cross of Christ to bear in your heart and in your mind. It's the work of the Spirit to help us look on the cross of Jesus Christ, to see our sins, those deeds of the flesh that we just mentioned a few of, to see those deeds of the flesh born in his bloody wounds. In other words, do you believe that your sensual and impure deeds deserve the payment of the cross? Do you see those deeds as requiring the blood of the Son of God? When you do, when the Spirit causes you to look on the cross that way, not clinging to your sin, but hating your sin, when you look at the cross, you hate your sin all the more because you see the payment of it. And looking on the cross causes you to love Jesus more and more. And when we love him, we obey him. So the Holy Spirit brings the cross of Christ to bear in our hearts and minds so that we might forsake sin and walk in righteousness. And so my question is, is the Holy Spirit, do you see the Holy Spirit doing that work in your heart, bringing the cross of Christ to bear? And so the big question for all of these things to diagnose your spiritual state is, are you engaged day by day with the Spirit in battle against sin? Because that is the mark of a true Christian. Remember what Paul said in Romans 6. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in righteousness. He goes on to say, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but... Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not be master over you for you are under, not under law but under grace. The last thing as we talk about the Holy Spirit and who he is if we've acknowledged our need for him, if we've acknowledged what he does and what his work looks like, the natural question should be, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? How do I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit and enter into that fellowship? Well, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if your son asks you for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give... The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. The Lord Jesus has promised to give us His Holy Spirit. He promised this to His disciples, and He promises the Spirit to all who believe in Him. Remember what Romans 8 said here. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells, who lives, who abides inside of you. Do you think Jesus keeps his promises? If he went all the way to the cross, to that shameful, accursed death to purchase your salvation, if you believe that your sins are born in his wounds on the cross, do you think he won't see to it that the intended effect of his blood and righteousness will actually be carried out in your life? That you yourself would walk in righteousness? He rose from the dead so that you might live too. He ascended into heaven, and he sits on the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying for us now. Christ is in heaven, praying for us now. It's by his finished work on the cross and his continuing work in heaven that the Holy Spirit is poured out on us. And how do we get him? We pray to the Father to give us the Holy Spirit. You have the perfect Savior as an advocate for you in heaven bringing your requests to the Father by the merit of his own blood. Now some of you here may still be in bondage to your flesh as we talk about the deeds of the flesh and what practicing the deeds of the flesh looks like. You may still be enslaved to sin and feel the weight of its guilt and its condemnation. And if that's you don't run away from God don't continue to hide yourself in the darkness and disagree with God's condemnation acknowledge your sin to him as we did earlier in this service don't continue in the deeds of the flesh because those who practice the deeds of the flesh inherit hell but those who come to Christ confessing their sin receive the Holy Spirit now and the inheritance of eternal life to come And so if you are in bondage to the deeds of the flesh, repent of your sin. Trust in Christ. Those of you who do have a part in Christ, brothers and sisters who know him and are in need of the powerful help of the Holy Spirit, how do you get fellowship with him? If you're feeling lacking in fellowship with God's Spirit, what do you do? You ask your father in heaven in the name of his son Jesus. You ask him, you trust him and you don't grow weary in the work of fighting against the deeds of your flesh. And that's my encouragement to you this morning is to not grow weary in fighting because it is easy to wake up every day and have to fight your sin again to grow weary in fighting against it and to want to give up But what a sweet promise we have from God here. If you're living according to the flesh, you must. Another translation is you will die if you're living according to the flesh. But if by the spirit whom God gives to you, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will enter into life if you're engaged in the fight. Do you want to live? I hope so. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would please give us your spirit. You've said that you would if we confess our sins and we come to you, and so we confess that we are full of enmity and strife and sensuality and drunkenness and anger. Lord, we acknowledge in your light that we are sin and full of sin and that its power is strong. We acknowledge our need of the cleansing work of your spirit to set us free from the law of sin and of death and would you please do that work in us so that you might be glorified in and through us. Would you help us now and strengthen us in this work and receive our praises as glorifying to you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.